Good morning, Smoke Up If You Got Em listeners, and welcome to Pie Talk number eight, maybe? Not really sure. Hello, good morning. It's Saturday, and I'm coming to you from a little house in the Outer Banks, uh, just north of Kitty Hawk, and I'm looking out the window at what reasonably looks like the ocean, but is not the ocean. Um, and... Uh, it's mesmerizing. I could lie here all day and just stare at it and listen to it, but I can't do that because I'm down here working on a project. Let me tell you something a little about um, how I wound up here. So as a lot of you know, um, I'm friends with the Fifth Column guys, and they have a really interesting community. I mean, they have many thousands of listeners, and their listeners have formed... Um, groups of their own. Uh, there's a book group, and I'm sure there's many other groups, um, but they, they come to know each other personally. There's been at least one uh, engagement that we actually helped to orchestrate at Paloma Media. Uh, kind of a whole bunch of people came, and I walked the uh, the bride-to-be out to ostensibly to buy some bottle of booze, and when we came back, her... her um, would-be fiance was waiting in the studio. Matt Welch had walked him in there and uh, we all kind of scooted out into the other side of the apartment and he proposed and they walked in and there were a whole bunch of us there and it was it was quite beautiful. I have some video of it somewhere. Maybe I'll, I'll put a link here. Um, anyway, that community um, includes uh, a couple, uh, Laura and Andy, who live on the Outer Banks and when I was driving around the country uh, uh, in 2021, summer 2021, I drove my car from New York and down to Oklahoma and through Texas and then passed through Louisiana. And I stopped and saw a bunch of people along the way, including my daughter and my husband and Stephen Elliott, who we've had on the program. And then I made my way to Miami where the fifth column guys were. And then I drove them down to, they had a show, a live show, uh, drove them down to Key West, spent a few days and then headed back up North and, needed a place to stay in between Savannah, Georgia, and New York City. And I stayed with Laura and Andy, um, who were fifth column fans. And that's basically how we met. Um, We had never met before, but they let me stay in their incredibly lovely house. And they're just the best hosts. And they are right here uh, on the Outer Banks, right on the water. Well, we've kind of, oh, at that time, this was in June 2021, I I jumped in that water off their dock and I never kind of experienced water like that. It's, um, it almost felt buoyant and fluffy, but also very sort of alive, like you were inside this, uh, this entity. And I, I never forgot it. And I was very grateful. I was very, very grateful for the hospitality they showed me. And we've stayed in touch over the years. Um, a couple of, well, past two years, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I realized I needed to get out of New York for about a week to get a project done. I thought, where am I going to go? Oh, let me ask Laura and Andy, because I knew they had an Airbnb. Well, it turned out their Airbnb is occupied right now, but their neighbors had a house and they are letting me stay here uh really for a song and it is perfect including i'm i'm looking at the sea i'll take a picture of it um for y'all and as you sleep at night it's just out there it's not the sea it's what body of water it's uh 
the body of water off the outer banks. That's how stupid I am. Um, uh, in between here and uh, the mainland, which is North Carolina and then up in Virginia. I'm sorry, I don't know what this body of water is called. Um, besides the outer banks. Um, it's it's just a really interesting experience. And I'm sure anybody who lives right by the water experiences it. But I don't know if this level of sound, because of the winds here, this area is known for the winds. As I said, I'm just north of Kitty Hawk. And where is Kitty Hawk? What What is Kitty Hawk famous for? Well, where the Wright brothers um, had uh, invented or, you know, were successfully created flight. They were originally from Ohio. I found out a couple of days ago from Andy. and um, But they came down here because of the winds. The winds here are nuts. It's constant right now. It's kind of soft. Um, but I tried to make a little video uh, kind of talking the other day, uh, earlier today. For someone, you couldn't hear anything. You could only hear the winds. It also makes you feel buffeted at all time and that you're in the presence of something. I... I cannot tell you how much I love it down here. I also love it the first night I got here. Again, Andy and, and Laura hosted me, and the hospitality was just off the charts. Just this beautiful dinner and, and a couple of margaritas, and then Andy showing me how to work the Oculus. And um, to be able to open your, your home like that to someone just so easily, just like falling off a log, it's something I adore have always done, will always do, and kind of brings me to what I'm going to talk to you about today, which is, drum roll please, Alison Roman's new cookbook uh, called Sweet Enough. It's a dessert cookbook. Now, look, talking to me, writing for me, or to me, or uh, as one of your readers about dessert, there's just I mean, this is it for me. This is what I like to make. This is what I like to do. This is what I like to share. The book is gorgeous. And it is like Alison Roman herself, funny and goofy, but also semi-serious about uh, certain things. It is all about dessert. She's talking to you about how she is not a precise cook. You know, she says right at the beginning of the book, and it's something that I tell people all the time about dessert. People are like, oh, I, I cook, but I don't, I don't, I don't bake because it's so hard. And I'm including dessert here in terms of baking. This is not just a baking book. There's plenty of puddings and, and pies that don't need to go in the oven or anything like that. I do not find baking to be precise. Um, I find baking to be fun and engaging. Uh, I, I don't know why people think it's so precise. I guess because you can mess up, but can't you just mess up cooking too? Someone the other day, I was, I was doing something in a pan and he said like, well, how do you know the garlic's not going to burn? I'm like, well, sometimes it does burn. Um, but you know, you kind of learn to do it. I guess with baking, you know, with cooking often, you're kind of eyeballing it and touching a little lot. You feel like you have a more latitude, like an extra tablespoon of olive oil or maybe a little too much or too little black pepper, you can fix it later. Whereas if you bake, you know, you get something in the pan and you prepare the pan and you put it in the oven, it comes out, it's like, oh, it's dry. I will say she's, Alison Roman at the beginning of the book has something, she's talking a little bit about equipment. One thing that I have resisted um, that I don't use, and I, I put this in the last uh, pie talk, is a kitchen scale. I just, I'm just not so precise and I don't think you need it. However, she has convinced me 
to get to buy that little kitchen scale, $9 kitchen scale I've had in my Amazon shopping cart for a few weeks because one thing that does kind of get messed up is the amount of flour you use. If you use too much flour, you're going to have a dry you're going to have a dry baking good. And the problem is you're adding the flour to the already wet ingredients. Like let's say you've already got your butter and your eggs and your sugar. You dump the flour in there. If it's too much, if you're like me, you've been baking since you were seven years old, you know it's too much flour. And you're like, what are you going to do? Like it's already in with the wet ingredients. You're going to start all over again. And flour can be tricky in terms of like the weather or how you're putting it in your cup. Some people are like super precise and they spoon it in. I tend to use the traditional scoop it out, um, uh, like level it off with a knife or just with your finger. Anyway, I am going to get the kitchen scale because how much of a pain in the ass can it be? Also, there are some recipes, um, like I'll use a Nigella Lawson recipe sometimes and she's got things in grams. So, okay, so I got to do all that, you know, Google, what's the equivalent of 203 grams? How many cups? Oh, whatever. So I'm going to get that. Um, her recipes, first of all, it's a gorgeous cookbook because, frankly, you got to make cookbooks pretty gorgeous. These, well, you don't have to, but it really helps if you have super nice um, photos that are kind of luscious and sen sensual and funny and silly and, and have people in it and really show off your hands in the goods. This is sensual. This is what cooking is about. I will tell you one thing I'm not crazy about it and they know it. You know, when you're looking at a recipe online and it's like, well, they'll kind of tell you 16,000 words about their life first in making this recipe and a picture and a picture and a picture. At the top of that, there's a little tab that says jump to recipe. Personally, I usually do jump to the recipe. Before I get to a few specific things about Roman's book, I want to talk about cookbooks a little bit. Um, I've been a cookbook reader since I was a child. Uh, what was the first book? Which might have been a first book for many of us born in the 1960s or I guess the 1950s or 70s was The Joy of Cooking, um, which was sort of the kitchen Bible that everyone had. It was about 700 pages that had everything from, you know, probably escargot to gravy to pumpkin pie, like a million staples plus, you know, so many recipes that you didn't use. There's a funny story about this book. Um, I believe the name of the book was Irma Rombacker and maybe her sister. I can't remember. I mean, it was the standard forever. Everybody's kitchen had one. But Julia Child tells a story that when she was doing the art of French cooking with her partner, they were very, very assiduous about testing every recipe two, three, four, five times until they knew exactly that these were the proportions and this was going to get you what they were trying to give you and make you understand. And I guess she had a conversation with Ron Backer who was like, oh yeah, we don't test the recipes. <laughs> the child was appalled. I have to say I've done, um, I've created recipes I used to write for when I was first starting to write, I needed gigs, right? I, you know, I had a little kid and I was freelance and I had to, I had to write for as many places as I could. And some of these were these cooking magazines and I would create recipes and I would, obviously I would test them, but I probably wouldn't test them more than once. I would test them to make sure that it, it turned out well. Um, in any case, I've loved cookbooks forever. Um, when I lived in Los Angeles and also in Portland, I had oh, probably a good hundred books that I collected since I was um, quite young. I also, for many years, had many, many issues of Gourmet Magazine um, because that's how I, 
I started reading that as a young teenager and it was so the old gourmets, gourmets not around anymore. I, I believe I talked about um, um, Ruth Reichel's book. Her latest was it Save Me the Plums? I think it was. That was the name of it. Um, it was sort of a memoir of cooking and then her time um, at restaurants and her time as the editor-in-chief of Gourmet. I think that was the name. It might, it might not be. It might be another book of hers. But in any case, I'll have it in the show notes. And, and she had a similar trajectory to me, which was starting to read Gourmet because they were so transportive and, and lush and seductive. They were taking you to other lands. Um, I probably now, if you saw these articles, it would be like, and then we were driving in our Austin Martin and we passed the castle. I mean, they, they were kind of but that was kind of the point it was like you were never going to live this life but you could you could like live this life for a little while and then they had the recipes um the second uh cookbook i remember working from and reading and cooking from a lot was craig claiborne's the new york times cookbook this was another i don't really remember when it came out mid 60s maybe early 70s i was cooking from it um i started making a lot of cakes because as a young teenager, I started to make everybody's birthday cake, including, I remember one year, my mother's cake. And I wanted to thank Craig Clearborn personally for this. And I lived in New York City. And at the time, there were telephone books. And his his um, phone number was in the Manhattan telephone book. And I called the number. And there was an answering machine. And I don't believe we had an answering machine yet maybe we did I don't remember and I left a message thanking him for the recipe because I used it to make my mother's birthday cake um in any case that was a mainstay uh I've had so many other books that are used so often the silver palette cookbook uh Molly O'Neill's New York Times New York cookbook the new New York cookbook I believe it was called actually I met O'Neill several times she died a few years ago sadly but um she was lovely I entertained her in Portland several times she was a a hoot and her her New York book cookbook is fantastic because it goes around to all the you know New York City cooks and New York City restaurants all the boroughs and gives you just like the legit recipes you know from cheesecake to gravy to biscuits to bialis to it's just it's a super fun book and it's one of the books I kept when I when I left Portland in 2019 I basically um I really sold almost everything sold or gave away or left on the curb almost everything that I owned from furniture to jewelry to clothing and my cookbooks and my books. I sold um, more than a thousand dollars worth of books to Powell's um, because I was going to be traveling very light back to New York City and I kept very few items and I got rid of all my cookbooks including a few that I wish I'd kept. A lot of other little things I wish I'd kept but Oh, well, I am starting to gather some new books, and one of them is uh, is um, Alison Romans. Um, I hinted a while back uh, in, I think it was one of the Pi Talks, um, that I'd had someone to the apartment uh, who just, it thrilled me to meet no end, and that was indeed Alison Roman. She came because she was doing an interview, um, which I don't know if it's out yet, so I'm not actually going to say who it is with, but um, they used uh, our, our little recording studio there at Paloma Media. And then afterwards, we hung out for several hours and talked and bullshit. Michael Moynihan was there too. And she and Michael talked for a long time and she and I talked and I, of course, fed her because that's what I do. I'm sorry. I'm not going to have Alison Roman to my house and not feed her something. I'm trying to remember what I fed her. 
I don't even remember. I was going to make a pound cake because that's such a great super stable and it travels well and everybody loves it. But it wasn't. I made something else. Jeez, I can't even remember what it was. But I remember she and I, when everybody else was sort of dispersing, um, we stood around my dining table and we ate it and we talked about why it was good and we talked about why we like certain crusts and then we opened, um, oh, I know what it was. Uh, a tart of some sort anyway we taught we opened up certain cookbooks and we looked at what worked and what didn't and that is what I mean look gosh I'm I'm smiling so much here because when you bake or when you cook you speak a certain language that other people may not speak you don't realize you speak it you don't realize how sort of easily you are able to do things because you've done it so, 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 so many times and you've done it with your hands and you've made a million mistakes. Do you know how much stuff I throw out? I throw out so many things that I bake. I just toss them in the garbage because there's a few reasons. I mean, sometimes it's my fault. Um, It's also my oven's fault. I have a terrible oven in the city, but but another thing I'm gonna credit Allison Roman from, um, I go upstate a lot where my mom lives and there's sort of a living barn up there that she's, giving me license to redo, including putting in a proper little kitchen. There was a kitchen there with a kind of a crappy stove and oven and a, an animal sink, like this metal tin sink that had a round bottom, which was absolutely disgusting to wash dishes in. Anyway, I bought a um, a new oven that just came, oven in range. Uh, that just came and it is a, uh, what's it called? Not a convection oven. It is a, uh, I have no gas up there, so I had to buy an electric oven, but I didn't want like those, those electric burners get, get all hot and you can never adjust the temperature. So I bought a, oh man, what's it called? It's with a C. Anyway, again, I'm credit, crediting Allison Roman because she said she uses one in her apartment. I'm like, well, look, if it's good enough for Allison Roman, it's good enough for me. Anyway, building a new kitchen up there. I'm going to have a proper oven. I've got a new um, KitchenAid mixer that is gorgeous. That is Robin Eggs, Robin's Egg Blue. We're going to do a lot of cooking and entertaining this summer. In any case... Um, back to, back to Roman. Um, and oh, throwing out baked goods. Why am I going to keep a bad baked good? I can just make another one. And she and I talked about that. And she opens in her book talking about how many, um, mistakes that she's made and it's fine. And here's the thing. Most people are not even going to notice that you're notice. You're going to notice. Um, there are a lot of things for of hers I want to make. There's a, a maple pie that I really want to make that sounds like a maple cream pie. That sounds super delicious. But the one I want to talk to you about, I haven't made it yet, but I'm just going to read for you the opening um, of uh, of what of this pudding. It's called a bowl of salted chocolate pudding. And it says, My favorite way to consume this sexy, hedonistic number is not in dainty little cups. No, this pudding wants to be served in a giant bowl topped with a tangy yogurt or sour cream lace whipped cream and lots of flaky salt with nothing but a handful of spoons for individual indulging. No personal bowls, no serving utensils. This giant bowl of silky chocolate is meant to be shared with friends and lovers. Alternatively, use it to make friends and lovers, and it works every time. And you eat it with dot, dot, dot. At the end of your next gathering, when the lights are low and the music is loud and you think you've run out of wine, but find that one extra bottle in the back of the fridge, that's the moment to bring out the bowl of chocolate pudding. Friends, if there's anybody 
that ever the way I do live and the way I want to live and the way we share our lives with friends, it's right there. Just sitting around a bowl of delicious chocolate, creamy, salted, creamy pudding and eating it together as the lights are low and you're drinking the last of the wine and you keep talking and you think you want to go to bed, but you don't want to go to bed yet. Um, as I said, I haven't made this recipe yet, but I will. Uh, and I'll put a picture of it when I when I do. Um, thank you for joining me for a little bit of an extra long pie talk this morning. I wish you a beautiful uh, Sunday. And why don't you go ahead uh, and bake something today for the people you love. Thanks.